Father God, I pray that you would humble us this morning. Lord, that we would bow before you. That we would sit at your feet, Jesus, and that we would listen to your word. God, that you would use it to speak to us, to convict us. Holy Spirit, that you would transform us through it. That you would move in this place, that you would move in your people. Lord, that we would profess you and that we would demonstrate you. That we would be hearers of your word and doers also. God, help us to honor you with this time where we invite you here. We invite you into our lives. We invite you to speak to us and to change us. Please do that in each of us and do that in us as a family. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start off with an exercise of asking you guys a question about what is most foundational, what is most important about your identity and about our identity. How do we identify ourselves? So I'm going to ask Ashley to come up. She's going to write in English and in Spanish. But this is the part where you participate. And I want you to think about and maybe finish the sentence, I am blank. Or I am a blank. Or we are blank. We are a blank. Okay? Fill in the blank. The most important, the most foundational, some of the most important things about you, about us. Everybody with me? All right. Say one more time. Oh, you understand. Got it. So feedback. A child of God. Loved. Loved. Amados. Creation. God's creation. A creation. child of God loved God's creation. You, saved by God. Saved by God. You guys have any non-churchy answers? Homo sapiens. Tim says we're upright. Human beings. <laughs> Broken. Broken. Sinners. Broken. Ah, thank you, mothers and fathers. Did you say in Spanish or Hispanic? Who who here is Hispanic? Oh, you have it? Anything else? Oh, thank you, brothers and sisters. Employees. Employees, workers. Workers. Servants. 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 Parents. Padres. 
All right, and I know there are other things that you guys thought, but you're not going to say them out loud because they're not, they're not churchy enough. I'm a, a female or a male. What? <coughs> Nima says a lover of Chick-fil-A. It's, it's core to his identity. Okay. So you guys are thinking now, at least, all right? I know you might not have said it, but you're at least thinking about, okay, how would I identify myself? What's foundational about me? If I was to express to others what is most foundational about me, this is what I would want them to know. Now, of all of these, what can we agree is the most foundational, the most important identity for us or for you? Human. Human beings. Okay, now I want you to go in the direction of churchy. Right. Child of God, we're 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 if we're following Christ, then we're 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 this label of Christians. I am a follower of Christ. I'm a child of God, right? Do you, do you want to see my do you want to see my notes? No, I'm <laughs> but that's that's perfect what Elvis is saying, okay? But can we all let's say this. Can we all agree in, in churchianity, okay? Not Christianity, but churchianity, like as described by the church. The most important thing about us, if we're followers of Jesus, is that we're followers of Jesus, right? I am, we are Christians. And I know that should be the most that should be the most foundational part about my identity and who I am. Alright? So now you guys are thinking, Elvis is thinking more than some people. But but we're thinking, right? But that's what in, in this box of churchianity, that should be the primary thing. That I'm a Christian. And that's what we think about ourselves. I let you guys describe yourselves. Your identity. If we profess Jesus with our mouths and with our words, proclaim to follow Jesus, then I would ask you, how does the world perceive us? How does, how not do we see ourselves, but how does the world see us? How does our culture see us? How do they identify us? How do they perceive us based on our actions and based on our lives? Okay. Positive or negative? Ashley, can you write again? How does the world see us? What are some terms? What are some descriptions? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Give Ashley a second. Judgmental. Hold on, hold on. We're going to get there. Give Ashley time. So, hypocrites, haters, crazy. What? Sometimes, sometimes. What? Oh, like we, we need crutches, right? We're weak. We're, our, our, our faith is a crutch. Right? What? Uh, capitalistic, conservatives. Idealistic, strict. Intolerant. 
anti-homosexual. Do you guys have any positive ones? Compassionate. <laughs> I love Livingstone. You'll have nothing positive to say about us. All right, that's good. Caring, compassionate. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> what? Pro-life. All right. So this is a good list. You guys are now thinking again. This is great that you guys are thinking. Charitable. Now, this is what you guys think. Now, I want to share with you uh, a study that was done some years ago that actually went to uh, those outside the church, that went to the culture to get their understanding, their perception of those inside the church. How the non-religious see and perceive the religious. And what are the uh, greatest or most common categories and descriptions that they give of us. So I want to share with you the top three and you guys have hit them all. Alright, you can see on the screen 91% the greatest common identification of those in the church is that they are anti-homosexual. 91% of those surveyed outside the church, that's the most common perception they have of those of us who follow Jesus Christ. I got a lot to say about that, but I'll say it later. 87% judgmental. 85% hypocritical. We agree with these perceptions. We know that's how the culture sees us. And this is what's common. So what does that have to do with Jonah? I want us to continue in this story. And I want us to see how those outside, those non-religious people, see and perceive Jonah a religious prophet of God. Okay? I want us to look in the story and see how those outside see Jonah who's inside. How those who are non-religious see he, Jonah, who is religious. And what are their perceptions of him? And then, can we, as we talked about before, see ourselves in Jonah? Can we see ourselves in Jonah? Can God use Jonah so that we can see how similar we are in his situation and how similar we are in his response? Particularly today and how those outside of the church for us or those non-religious sailors in this story see Jonah. Because we have... We have to see ourselves in Jonah. And I know you guys can shake your heads, but inside you're going, not really. I'm not really like Jonah. You are like Jonah. I am like Jonah. And so I want to walk through verse 4 through 8. I just want to give us the context of the story, re review what's going on. 
And then we'll, we'll focus on verse 9 and 10 as we get there and we see uh, the sailor's perception of this religious prophet, Jonah. So if you remember that Jonah in his sin, you can look at the slide, right? In his sin, he is running away from God. And God in his grace is pursuing Jonah. But Jonah is running away from relationally from God, from intimacy and interaction with God because he's been disobedient to God. And God is pursuing Jonah in grace. Okay, that's overall. That's the picture of this story and what is occurring. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind. God is pursuing. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. God is pursuing. Jonah contends to run. But I want you to see the response on the ship that those who are with Jonah, those non-religious people with Jonah, as God is pursuing Jonah, as this storm comes, in the beginning of verse 5, all the sailors, okay, and when you see sailors, just think all the non-religious non-professing people. Okay? And on this ship, that was everybody else. There was Jonah and there was everybody else. And these sailors are the non-religious. The unrighteous. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. They all cried out to their gods. They all sought relationship with their God in the middle of this chaos, in the middle of this danger. They're like, we need something outside of ourselves. And they began to seek to pray to their gods. It's natural. That's, as Elvis said, that's part of our humanity that, that we know and we need this assistance, this care from outside of ourselves. And then it says they, they threw over the cargo. The reason they were on the ship was to transport cargo. This was their livelihood as sailors, right? They were transporting cargo and they say, forget it. Forget the money we're going to make. Forget the resources that we need. It's better to sacrifice our livelihood to maybe, maybe save our lives. This is what the non-religious see. They cry out to some divine being and they say, I don't care what's going on in my life. I'm willing to sacrifice it just to save my life. This was the non-religious perspective. But Jonah, as we looked last week, the middle of verse 5, but Jonah had gone down below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep, into a deep sleep. 
He'd gone down, down, down to the bottom of the ship and was asleep. He was sedated. He was hiding from God. He was numbing his pain from the brokenness of this relationship that he had with God. And he had gone down and he had gone down and he was asleep and he was unconscious and sedated and not wanting to think about the reality of his brokenness with God. He was running and avoiding God. But, look at verse 6. The captain, the leader of the non-religious, the leader of the non-religious, the captain, went down to him and says, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And he arouses Jonah from this sedation. Wake up. You're down here running from God. You're down here avoiding God. Wake up. And what does he tell him to do? He doesn't say, just do something. He says, you get up and pray. You get up and pray to your God. We're all doing our part. You do your part. And this non-religious leader tells Jonah, a religious man, to get up and pray. Have we ever been in that situation? We have this relationship with God. But we're on the run right now. And things are falling apart. And there is opportunity. But I, I'm running from God relationally. Why would I then turn to God and seek Him through prayer to be intimate with Him and to interact with Him? I'm running from Him. I'm not going to pray to Him. And the people around you, like... You need to pray. Aren't you a follower of Christ? Aren't you a Christian? Like, don't you have this connection? Why are you running and why are you not praying? I wasn't convicted by that, but I thought maybe y'all would be. I'm being sarcastic. I was convicted. I am having a hard time, right, giving this message because as I send this out to you, it's coming right back to me. You're a target, I'm a target. This is for you, this is for me. And I've been preaching this to myself. No response is noted about Jonah. The storyteller goes from verse 6 right on to verse 7. It doesn't say if Jonah prayed or not. It doesn't make any highlight of his prayer or his lack of prayer, but nothing happens. Come on, Jonah, get up. You pray. Nothing happens. We can fill in the blank. Did he pray? Did he not pray? Did he pray? And like, oh God, please save these horrible, unrighteous, non-religious people. Okay, amen. Because I know I'm supposed to pray that, but I actually don't believe that, or feel that, or desire that. It doesn't say. But Jonah does wake up. But he continues to avoid God. So then on to verse 7. Their situation doesn't change. 
and the sailors, they decide to go further. Like, we've made our efforts, we've got to go further. We've tried this, we've tried praying, we've tried throwing the cargo over. We've got to continue to try to save ourselves. The storm is growing stronger. In verse 7, then the sailors, the non-religious, said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. You might ask, what are they doing? They were trying to discern God's will. They were trying to understand God. They had prayed to God. They had given sacrificed things in their life. And now they're seeking to understand, to hear from God. Okay, this was acceptable in their culture. It was acceptable at this time as a way that God could speak, as a way that God could give them discernment. And God does, and God responds. And where does the lots, where do these divine dice fall? To Jonah. It points directly at Jonah. We need to see ourselves in Jonah. It points directly to me. It points directly to you. If we're willing to see ourselves in Jonah. And they identified Jonah as the fugitive. He's the one on the run. He's the one that has offended his God. And so now they're like, we need to understand just who you are, Jonah. We need to understand your identity. They want to know who he is. So they ask him, what kind of work do you do? What's your, your purpose? Why are you here? What are you doing? Why do you wake up in the morning? Where are you from? Where do you live? Right, right, what place are you from? These are huge identity questions. Who are you a part of? Like, what's your race? Where do you come from? Who do you belong to? What's your purpose? What are you doing? These are identity questions. And they are asking him these identity questions because they want to know who Jonah is, but they also want to know whose is he? Who is Jonah, but whose is he? As in, in that culture, in that time, to understand these things, you would understand their God. Understanding your purpose, your place, your race. Now I understand your God. Now I know which God we're talking about. Look back at verse 8. It says, So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble. Tell us about yourself. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? We need to understand who you are so we can understand whose you are. Who has authority over you? Who do you serve? That's what they want to know. If I understand your identity, then I understand who has authority over you and who you serve, who you give your allegiance to. If 
If we can understand this problem, the sailors are thinking, then we can come up with a solution. And then in verse 9, we hear Jonah's first words in the story. The first time Jonah actually speaks. And this is where we will clarify and clearly see how those non-religious sailors saw Jonah. How did they perceive him? How did they perceive his words and his actions? And it will be clear that like the non-religious see us hypocritical that's how the non-religious saw Jonah a hypocrite I want you to look at verse 9 and verse 10 and consider what Jonah says in light of what Jonah was doing right? what does he profess about him and about his God and about the interaction between him and his God now put that in the context of Jonah on the run, running from relationship with his God. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now I would tell you that this is a bunch of religious mumbo jumbo. There are some other words that might be more accurate, but I'm not going to say them in church. Right? This is just religious mumbo jumbo. What is this you're saying? Those are just fluffy words that you're saying, Jonah. Like it's clear, like. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I am one of the God's chosen people. I'm the chosen race. That's who I am. Let me tell you about my place, about the people I'm from. And he says, that's his identity. And then he explains the Lord's identity. He's the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So I'm one of God's chosen people. And this is the God who created the dry land and who created this sea where we're about to die in. That the storm is chasing us on. I'm his chosen people and I serve the sovereign God. And then most importantly, in between that, he talks about his relationship, his interaction, his intimacy with this God, between Jonah and his God. What does it say in the middle? It says, I worship the Lord. I'm his chosen people. He's the sovereign God. And I worship him. I fear him. He is awesome. He is mighty. He is sovereign. And I completely serve Him. I worship Him. I bow down to Him. He has authority over me. My allegiance, my life is to Him. That's what He's saying. Do you get the picture? What Jonah is describing? Do Jonah's words match his actions. Yes or no? 
I didn't ask if his words were true. I didn't ask if his words were theologically correct. I said, do his words that he states, that he responds, do they match his actions? Not at all! They couldn't be more opposite. They couldn't be more extreme. He's running from the face of God. I'm running from intimacy and interaction with God. But yet I'm telling you, I'm His chosen people and I worship, I serve the sovereign God. It couldn't be more obvious. And the hypocrisy was clear to these non-religious sailors. Look at verse 10. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? And then it says, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. At some point, right? And Jonah, as probably as he boarded the ship, he already told them, like, yeah, I'm headed for Tarshish. I'm running away from my God. They're like, okay, welcome aboard. Pay us the fare. Thank you so much. And now they're remembering what he said. He says, I'm running away from my God. And now as the storm comes, he's like, I am a chosen, one of the chosen people of God, and I worship him. Does his profession match what he is demonstrating? No. And they can see it. And it's clear. And they're like, what have you done? This is so obvious. How come you can't see it? How come you can't see your hypocrisy? What have you done? Jonah's words about God were right. But his actions didn't match. Jonah was a hearer of God's word. He had right theology, but he was not a doer of the word. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound current for us? For, for the church here? In this place, in this time? I would say that churchianity today is so concerned about getting the truth right. All right? It's the primary focus of the church. We've got to, got to, got to, got to, got to get the truth right. But we're not nearly as concerned about living out that truth rightly. We'll get to that if we can get to that. But let's focus on getting the truth right, not necessarily living that truth out rightly. And as Jonah was perceived as a hypocrite, we are perceived as hypocrites. 87% of those surveyed agree. Those in the church, those religious people, they're hypocrites. Just like the sailors that did Jonah and they understood he was a hypocrite. We proclaim Jesus as Lord. Lord. He has authority over me. I submit to Jesus. Uh, my allegiance is to Jesus. Mi, mi, um, mi 
Yo me someto. Él es mi Señor, el Señor de mi vida. We profess that with our mouths. Profesamos eso con nuestras bocas. But our actions are contrary. Pero nuestras acciones son contrarias. Our actions speak a different truth. Nuestras acciones hablan otra verdad. Do our words match our actions? Do your actions match your words? What we profess, do we demonstrate it? What I profess, do I demonstrate? What you profess, do you demonstrate? Or is there hypocrisy? Jesus is Lord, I follow Jesus. So I want to give you one more study. The study before was about those outside the church. Now I want to share with you information and a study about those inside the church. Because you might say, yeah, yeah, I know I'm a hypocrite. But do you honestly believe that you, that I, that we all are in some way, form or fashion hypocrites? There are a lot of things you can call me. Well, you call me a hypocrite? Those are fighting words. Right? I remember my dad, I saw different people have choice words for my dad. And my dad would be like, so what, so what, so what, so what. But then they'd say, a liar. And my dad would just light up. And my dad was ready to fight. Those were fighting words. For us as a church, like, oh, I follow Jesus, I follow Jesus, Jesus is the Lord. You hypocrites! You're a hypocrite! What does that do inside of you? Like, those are fighting words. Or does that matter to y'all? Anybody here okay with being a hypocrite? There are a lot of things I want to be before I'm a hypocrite. Hypocrite is at the very kind of bottom of the list. So, another study to help us consider how accurately we follow Jesus. Professing Christians rate their level of agreement with 20 statements. 20 statements we're giving to these believers, these followers of Christ. And they wanted to see where they fall in the spectrum of following Christ or being like the Pharisees, being a hypocrite. And so I want to show you a slide. They asked them these 20 questions, five pointed to the fact that you, or your attitude is like Jesus or not like Jesus. And then the others pointed to your actions are like Jesus or not like Jesus. So your attitudes and your actions, are they like Jesus or are they like the Pharisees, the hypocrites? Does everybody understand? Are you Christ-like in action, in attitude? The top right corner? I'm like Jesus. In my actions and in my attitude. Or are you Christ-like in action, 
you do those things, but I don't really feel those things. My attitude is lacking. I, I'm like a Pharisee in my attitude, but I do those things because I know I have to. That would be the top left. Am I Christ-like in attitude, but not action? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll think like Christ, but I actually don't act like Christ. Right? I can act like Christ, but not think like Christ. I can think like Christ, but not act like Christ. You guys following me? Or the last one. I'm not Christ-like in either. Not my actions or my attitudes. Where do you think the majority fall? Where would you fall? Can you show the next slide? Fifty-one percent. In this study, did not have the actions or the attitudes of Christ. Fifty-one percent. Fourteen percent. They might be like Jesus in their attitude, but they don't really follow through with the actions. And then 21%, well, I, I, I like Jesus in his attitudes. Did I already say that one? I got mixed up. I, I do what Jesus did, but I sure don't feel it. I don't have that attitude, right? I'll do that out of obedience, but I don't believe that or feel that, right? And then 14%. We're actually like Jesus in attitude and actions. Not based on what you believe or profess, but based on your attitudes, your heart, and your actions, your life. Which quadrant would you be in? Where would you fall? Are we willing to consider that there's hypocrisy in us? That what we proclaim does not meet, does not match up with how we live our lives, with the attitudes we have. Jonah was a hypocrite. We're hypocrites. The culture. 87% identifies us as hypocrites. We say one thing, but our lives demonstrate something else. Let that sink in. Does my life demonstrate 
demuestra mi vida what I proclaim lo que yo proclamo como cristiano that's why the world they see us as hypocrites en el mundo la cultura no ve como hipócritas and as we assess our own actions y al nosotros reflexionar en nuestras acciones we're hypocrites somos hipócritas in some way, form, or fashion. My, my prayer right now is that God would convict us es que Dios nos dé esta convicción de nuestra hipocresía what we proclaim lo que proclamamos versus what we demonstrate lo que demostramos if our actions si nuestras acciones and our attitudes y nuestras actitudes match our words están de acuerdo con nuestras palabras to reflect on that. Do your actions match what you proclaim? What part of your life is hypocritical? Es donde ve hipocresía. You proclaim one thing. Usted proclama una cosa. And your life demonstrates something else. Y su vida demuestra algo totalmente diferente. What is it for you? ¿Cuál es? ¿Qué cosa es para usted? What is it for me? ¿Qué cosa es para mí? Where's the hypocrisy in my life? Where's the hypocrisy in your life? Jonah was clearly a hypocrite. Jonah knew God. Jonah was a prophet of God. But Jonah was running away from God. His life was full of hypocrisy. He proclaimed one thing and he demonstrated something different. We have to consider ourselves. We have to consider our lives. What our lives demonstrate when we're with others what our lives demonstrate when we're alone what our lives demonstrate when we're in public and what our lives demonstrate when we're with our family what our lives demonstrate at work and what our lives demonstrate when we're at church is there hypocrisy 
Or do our words match our actions? Are we proclaiming and demonstrating Jesus? Are we so concerned with the unrighteousness around us that we neglect and overlook the self-righteousness within us. I'm so worried about how everything, everyone else and how the world is so unrighteous that I can't see how self-righteous I am. We have to be honest. And we have to answer those questions. Not what do we profess, but what does our life demonstrate? Because there is hypocrisy in each of us. There was hypocrisy in Jonah. There's hypocrisy in us. God is pursuing Jonah. God is pursuing us. God was bringing this to Jonah. He will bring this to Jonah. He wants to bring that to us. And he will chase us. And he will give us storms. And he will pursue us. To bring us to this reality. I just want to give us a time of reflection and consider if our actions and our attitudes match our words, what we profess, that God would shine His light, His word into our hearts, that those places that we have covered up, where we are running, where we are below the deck, sleeping, avoiding, that God would shine a light on that. That our hypocrisy amongst us and in our lives would be apparent to ourselves and to those around us and that we would actually be empowered through the Holy Spirit to speak those things into each other's lives. Because in this story, we are Jonah. We're hypocrites. And we need to see ourselves as such and allow God into those situations. Allow God into those attitudes. Allow God into our lives that he would change us he would transform us and make us more like his son